426, lead me to Calvary. 426. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Show me the tomb where thou wast laid, tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robes of light arrayed, guarded thee whilst thou slept. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Let me like Mary through the gloom come with a gift to thee. Show to me now the empty tomb, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee, even thy cup of grief to share, thou hast borne all for me. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Amen. And in keeping with the theme of the cross, our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 22. Yea, dogs are round about me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my raiment they cast lots. But thou, O Yahweh, be not far off. O thou, my help, hasten to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion, my afflicted soul from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. Ye who fear Yahweh, praise him. Now, David wrote this psalm at a very difficult time in his life as the Lord's anointed king, probably when Saul and those were pursuing him. And little did he know or fully imagine how this would apply to the Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ. But Jesus took this very psalm on his lips on the cross because every good Hebrew knew that if you say the first line of the psalm, they had all memorized the whole psalm, and he was in effect saying all of Psalm 22 on the cross in his last words. So now let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are gathered here this morning on the first day of the week, the day on which your son rose from the dead, to worship you and to give you thanks and praise that our crucified Savior who died for our sins is also risen from the dead, ascended and ruling on the throne of heaven with you. And you have sent your spirit to be present among us. We pray that your spirit would move among us, that he would just fill this room, that there would be no distractions and nothing coming to inhibit our all-out worship and praise of you in this time ahead. We ask it in the name of our Savior Jesus and for his glory. Amen. And uh, I only have really one uh, announcement um, we had an extra week, so to speak. We have a fifth Sunday, which I love, and for that reason, the Vestry Voices will be going out Tuesday. And if anybody has an article, still do get it in by tomorrow. But that being said now, let us take um, our bulletin insert, and on one side of it we have our congregational prayer of confession. O most great, most just, and gracious God, you are of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, but you have promised mercy through Jesus Christ to all who repent and believe in him. Therefore, we confess that we are sinful by nature and that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have neglected and abused your holy worship and your holy name. We have dealt unjustly and uncharitably with our neighbors. We have not sought first your kingdom and righteousness, and we have not been content with our daily bread. You have revealed your wonderful love to us in Christ and offered us pardon and salvation in him, but we have turned away. We have run into temptation, and the sin that we should have hated, we have committed. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. We confess you alone are our hope. Make us your children and give us the spirit of your Son, our only Savior. Amen. I, I love this. I just would recommend if you have any way of looking up Richard Baxter, look this man up. He was an awesome pastor uh, in the Anglican Church in England in the 17th century. You can see the date this was written. And God used him to revive the Church of England in his days. And just always remember, because there's some pretty heavy confessions in there, and we're all guilty of it, that if we confess our sins, God has promised through the Apostle John that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And there was a plea there in a confession about righteousness. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's one of the themes of today's scripture. And now let's continue to worship the Lord, singing a couple of old familiar hymns, but they're very powerful. 
247, the old rugged cross. I think we sang um, 279 then. Oh, we forgot. Goodness gracious. Don't let me do that again. We'll sing three songs right now. <laughs> we'll sing all three because, yes, we've got to sing them all. So let's add in 279. Boy, I did it again. Debbie and we all turn to the next one. His grace has planned it all. That's the theme today. God has done a great work for us and we need to just get along with it and get into it. And now we'll sing the old rugged cross.
exchange it someday for a crown. In the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For it was on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to Uh...
Amen. Well, that was kind of a blessing to sing a block of three songs in a row. And now um, we will hear from uh, God's word. And there is a special reason, as will become obvious when I'm preaching, why I chose the King James Version uh, for our reading this morning. This morning's scripture reading is Philippians 3, verses 7 through 14. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And now, uh, if you will take your sing joyfully and turn to the back to number 658, And we are going to do together uh, a responsive reading from number 658. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Um, and, you know, that is really the gospel, and it will come out in the sermon. As Jesus said, he came to fulfill the Torah. He was not about to abolish it in any way. But it's impossible for us to do it in our own strength, as we heard in the scripture. But through the faithfulness of Christ and our faith in him and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's now possible. And let us thank God for that. And now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that we can know you and know your great faithfulness in the God-man, your Son, the Savior King. We are gathered to give you praise for both death and life in him. The death to our sins in him, which leads our dead spirits to come to life as you adopt us into your family, in him as his brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we may know, understand, and practice your word, and to believe all your promises, to obey the three great love commandments, so we may enjoy your strong, life-giving, life-changing love. Selah, we need to think on that. <sighs> And loving Father, we confess that as a human race, we deserve the pandemic and divisive violence. Because just as the Russian people under the Bolsheviks and Stalin, when tens of millions were slaughtered, we have forgotten you as a nation. We are killing babies calling perversion a lifestyle. And instead of loving the alien and stranger, we are suspicious of those who are not like us. Why should we be surprised that some use their right and privilege to have a gun in an act of selfishness to shoot other people who have done them no harm? So we confess right now in shame that we, I, have failed to testify boldly to the change you have made in our heart, in my heart, O oh Lord. And as both the prophet and the New Testament state, how can they know if they have not heard? Therefore, Holy Spirit, please move and act in our hearts in a powerful way, first in the church of Jesus and also in the nation and the world at large. And we pray for this world at large. All people right now are being attacked by both the virus and violence. And we pray for our nation. We pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence and the cabinet. We pray for senators and representatives. We pray for the courts, but also beyond the government. We pray for medical personnel and researchers and manufacturers. 
We pray for those in finance and the economy and for a recovery. We pray for people in the legal profession. We pray for education and we implore you, please raise up godly teachers in public schools and both public and private colleges. We pray for sports and entertainment. May we keep them in perspective. And we pray for social workers, so to speak. And and Father, this is important. Please stir up your local churches to once again take the lead by first sharing the good news of Jesus along with the good works that we do to the poor, the widow, the orphan, the strangers. There is more that we can pray for and name in our country, but it's hard to think of all of them. So we ask you in your sovereignty that your will be done, your good and perfect will in everything. And Father, we pray for those within our body, and we pray for your word in our hearts and your word to change our behaviors. May we truly know you and your faithfulness. And now, running out of words of our own, we come to you with the prayer that Jesus left for his followers, praying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen and now before we dig deeper into god's word let's sing number 511 victory in jesus and that's a big thing to be in jesus in christ in him over a hundred times in the new testament Sought 
world beyond the crystal sea about the angels singing and the old redemption story and some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory a victory Amen. And um, you may be seated. All scripture is equally inspired of God, but some passages are more powerful and precious than others. And today's passage is one of those golden passages. Let me just give you a little bit of a history with this passage and me. Okay, I chose this passage to be my term paper in seminary for a class where we were going through and discovering the meaning of the book of Philippians verse by verse. And one of the reasons why I chose it was because in 1997, when I was still an actuary in the corporate world, my sister gave me a Promise Keepers cassette. And the prime song on that cassette, which I quickly fell in love with, was Graham Kendrick's paraphrase of this passage, Knowing You. It became a favorite song, and after four years, I just wore that cassette out till there was nothing left of it. Now, this passage, we're spending three weeks in Paul's testimony to the Philippians so that they can understand what it means to be in Christ. And this is the heart, the middle of that testimony, okay? What it meant to be in the Messiah Savior, okay? He's saying, I'm no longer trusting in my own efforts to follow the instructions of Yahweh. That's what Torah means. It's a shame it's been translated law. Yahweh, who is the creator, the redeemer, the king of all kings, which he gave as a gift to Moses so that his people could be blessed in him. Remember, Jesus said he came to fulfill it. There's nothing wrong with the Torah or the law. He's giving it so the people in this church that he planted in Philippi and who had shared fully in his ministry and and committed to him as he was proclaiming Christ and the gospel throughout the Mediterranean. And he desired that they be committed only to Christ and his gospel, nothing else. When it comes right down to it, all that matters is Christ and the good news of what he has done for us. In the very heart of this passage, there's three parts to it, is to know 
Jesus, to know him, and to be sharing in the sufferings and his death for all people. He died for everyone so that we may somehow finish life resurrected from the dead in resurrection. Now, the union with the Lord comes to all people who consider their own efforts, what I do in my own strength, to be dung, so that they will become righteous through Christ's faithfulness. Hold on to that. And then from this point forward, people that are in Christ will be able to continue their journey of life energetically, pursuing God's high calling in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, Savior. There is a lot in this passage. So now let us plunge into this pool of living water. Okay. Part one is summarized this way. Paul's testimony, I consider my gains lost to know Christ my Lord, found in him having righteousness through his faithfulness. Okay, the first half of part one can be summed up this way. I consider all gains I had in the past to be loss for Christ in the surpassing knowledge of him for whom I consider all as dung to win or gain him. Let's take it phrase by phrase. But the things that were being gained to me, those I have considered lost for Christ. King James translates it count, but this is the first of three times in this part of the passage where he uses a word that has to do with human thinking or reasoning. So consider is the best way to to understand this. But even more, I am considering not just my past way of life. We saw last week he was a sevenfold Israelite Pharisee doing everything that could be humanly done. He says, even beyond what I was doing for God, I consider everything in my life, everything in my life to now be a loss. I have lost all things for him. And then he says, for having the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus the Lord. And again, I saw somewhere this week something like 1,400 times Lord is used in the New Testament. Who's the king of our lives? It's not us, okay? Now, to know Jesus. Remember when Jesus went to Gethsemane. This is, this is something we should all have memorized and be conscious of much of the time. He said, now this is eternal life, to know you and to know whom you have sent. Knowledge of God, a deep, intimate, experiential knowledge not just in our heads, but in our hearts, our experience, our desires, how we live. 
That is life, life that is eternal, but also a life that is abundant and life that has purpose and meaning that we bear fruit. This is the threefold life, okay? Then for whom, Paul says, I am suffering loss of all things and I'm considering them dung. Now, we hired a dumpster for a week to get rid of some junk, okay? That's what he's talking about here, okay? We need to get out the dumpster and we need to heave a whole lot of junk into it. What a difference knowing Jesus makes when we know him. Paul was talking about his old life where it was all about him and and his effort and wasn't he wonderful and he realizes, no, that's not the way to live. So he's declaring all that he based his right standing with God, his own righteousness on, it's loss, and he considers it dung. I love the Greek word. It may even remind you of, of an English euphemism. It's scubala. Okay? This is just scubala, people. It's garbage. It's junk. Get rid of it. So... Let's talk about now, okay? He wrote this 2,000 years, but this isn't only and just about Paul 2,000 years ago, okay? We must consider all of our things to be done compared to the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. That should be our number one passion and desire to know him in every way. And then he says that I may win or gain, gain the advantage of Messiah, of Christ, of the anointed king priest sent by God. So the purpose, the purpose of letting go of our own efforts, okay, um, to please God, in our own strength. This purpose is that we may know him and Jesus. And as a result of this, we will have eternal, abundant, and meaningful life. Okay, now for the second half of part one, he says, and I may be found in him. There's that phrase again. In him, not in myself, in him, not having righteousness of my own, which is out of the law or Torah. Okay, and again, this Torah that Yahweh gave his people through Moses, Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, and this was part of our responsive reading. Now, Galatia, just go to present-day Turkey on the eastern half right above Cyprus. That's where all these churches were, where Paul put this, this in his letter to them. The law, the Torah, is good, okay? But it needed a mediator so people could do it. We can't do it in our own strength. And Jesus is that mediator making it possible, possible for believers in Jesus who have all-out faith in him so that they might have righteousness through the faith of Christ, okay? Righteousness is given to us in Christ. And here's the key, the very key verse. 
And you have to have a King James, but he says, I am having the righteousness through the faith of Christ. Okay? I didn't know this when I started out to write my paper, but I spent hours of prayerful study of this phrase to find out what it really meant. And I don't have time, and you probably don't have the patience to learn the intermediate Greek to know what the problem was. And, and the thing that I kept running up against is every 20th century translation, New American Standard, Revised Standard, NIV, New Jerusalem Bible, they all said faith in Christ. But I satisfied myself after much prayer and said, God, everything hangs on this. That's a wrong translation. The King James people translated it literally. And what this is really saying is first and foremost, it's about the faithfulness of Christ. Paul is saying his righteousness is an imputed righteousness that originates from Christ's faithfulness on the cross and in the empty tomb. And then it becomes ours. If anybody wants to spend 15 minutes, I'll tell you, you know, some of the journey it went on. But I'm going to say one more thing. Sadly, some evangelicals have come to almost believe in faith as if it were a work. And then they'll turn around and attack Catholic brothers and sisters because they're living by works, and many of them know better on this point. And let me just say, supporting my conclusion is another tricky passage in Scripture, John 6. If you remember, people came up to Jesus and said, what must we do to please God? And if you remember, all the times in the Gospels, Jesus reframed the question. And in his answer, without directly addressing it, he says, your perspective is all wrong. And I'm just going to quote the New American Standard. He says, the work of God. Okay, they were talking about their works. Jesus just sloughed that off. The work of God is that you believe in him who he has sent. What's Jesus saying here? Our faith doesn't save us. We can't work up faith in God. It's futile. It's worthless. God does a wonderful work to give us the gift of faith. It's by grace, a gift, you've been saved through faith. Okay? So may we all let go of our accomplishments in order to gain the righteousness, not by our own efforts, but of the righteousness through the faithful Christ. Righteousness comes through the faithfulness of Christ, the faithful Christ himself. But before we leave the first section, the last phrase says the righteousness from God based on the faith. Okay, what is the basis of faith? So I believe God's talking about our response of faith in the work of his faithful son, what Jesus did by being faithful to die on the cross and rise from the dead in the empty tomb. And think about what we heard a few weeks ago now, or actually over a month because of vacation. 
In the second chapter, we heard, we are commanded to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in us. So what we have here, even in this one sentence, is that um, I believe God is saying that what we do is we work with him. Okay, salvation is a combination of the work that God has done. But we must receive it and then work with him. Okay, it's a two-part thing, but God is the primary mover. Without God, we're nothing. Okay, part two, the heart of this passage, to know him in everything, sharing his sufferings and being made to die like him, So somehow I finish in the resurrection. Okay, The first half of this part is my purpose is to know the power of Christ's resurrection and be sharing in his sufferings. Okay, Phrase by phrase, in order to know him, again for the second time, the purpose of responding to the faithful Messiah in faith is to know him. And as I developed earlier, that's a threefold life, eternal, abundant, with meaning. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. We cannot have the power of Jesus without also sharing in his sufferings. And that's plural suffering people. And here's a painful truth that I've discovered even in the working world when people would know I was a believer in Jesus and come to me with their problems. Some people want only blessings from Jesus because they do not understand the role of suffering in life. I wish I didn't have to tell you this. I wish I could be like some of those TV evangelists that say it's all a blessing from God. But I'd be lying to you. I wouldn't be faithful to scripture. This says, yes, we need to be sharing in his sufferings. And then the second half of this part of the passage is being made in the same likeness in his death to somehow... Finish into the resurrection. So hear this because this is the gospel, people. You've heard a lot about the gospel. Being made conformable to his death. As I look this up in various lexicons, it means that our death is to be of the same form and likeness of his death. As Paul put it in Romans, He died for our sins so that we can die to our sins in him. It's all being about in him. And his death for our sins is useless unless we determine to die to our sins in him. But that's the gospel. This is how we overcome sin and how we can, through the help of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, do what he wants. And then he says, if somehow I might finish into the rising up from the dead. To tell you the truth, this was the main reason I chose this passage. I said there were many. 
But way back when Debbie and I were living in Greater Springfield, I came upon this, um, if only, if only to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And I scratched my head and I said, what is Paul talking about here? Here was a man who was sure of his eternal life and that he would be resurrected. I said, I'll never understand this until I know Greek grammar. Well, again, I won't go into all the details. I've shared it with people over the years. But as I analyzed it, I determined that if only is not applying to the reality or the fact of resurrection. This was a way, and it's only used five times in the New Testament, but it was a way of Paul saying, I know that I'm going to attain to the resurrection from the dead, but I just don't know how and when God's going to do it. That's the thing he didn't know. We don't know everything. We know that whenever we die, we will be also resurrected at some point. But when, how? That's up to God. That's what the if only means. And it's very interesting. I again looked at a lexicon because the word for resurrection is some, I don't know, 20, 30 times in the New Testament. But this has a preposition in front of it, and it's the only time. And I think Paul's making a very emphatic point to raise up out of and from the dead. This is a strong way. Again, there's no doubt he knew he was going to rise from the dead. He just didn't know when or how. But the lesson we must understand is death must come before life. As I said, we can't have eternal, abundant, meaningful life until we die to our sins. Okay, part three. Flowing from all of this, Paul says, and not that I've already been made perfect, but I follow to be taken up of Christ, forgetting what is past and stretching to the prize ahead, God's calling in Christ. Again, the first part of this, and we can take encouragement from this. I'm following after Christ that I may take what has been taken up of me. Now, this word take could be apprehended or seized. And you'll hear me saying seized because I really like that. And he says, not that I have already taken or already been made perfect. So Paul wants his brothers in Philippi to know that even he who has been used in a special way by God, to plant churches all around the Roman Empire, all around the Mediterranean Sea, he has still not attained to full righteousness in Christ. In Christ. What's he saying? God's not done with me yet. He's still working in me. But I am following after. Now this word is also translated half of the time as pursuing a person. And sometimes it's outright translated persecution. And when he wrote to the churches in Corinth, he said that his life had often been in danger of death. You see, the life that Christ gives comes only after people die to themselves and die to sin. Then we have life, but as I prayed, and you know, all around the world there are many people 
who after dying to themselves and receiving spiritual life, are facing death and persecution every single day. But the good news is they always and forever have life in Christ. You see, death must precede life, but then that life can't be taken away. And then he says, if also I may myself seize that for which I have been seized of Christ Jesus. So all who come to Christ Jesus in humble, obedient faith, in God's faithful Messiah, these people will be forgiven and seized by him to receive his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I love that. Christ became sin for me that I might have his righteousness. Righteousness comes through the faithful Christ. And now the last section of this passage, brothers, one thing. And one of my seminary professors talked about um, the Billy Crystal song where Curly said, one thing. Well, there is one thing. Forgetting what is behind, I'm stretching to the high calling of God in Christ. Phrase by phrase, brethren, I myself am not reasoning to have seized it. Okay, that's the same point he made. I don't have to belabor that. But one, literally that's all he said in the original, but one, one what? One thing I'm doing, one way I'm living my life, one way everything. Since he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul has been single-minded in his devotion to Christ and to Christ's work, okay? His one goal is to serve Christ, who is the one focus of his life. I remember John DeBrine said, a Marxist, said to somebody in the Billy Graham Association, you Christians have a better message, but it's been a long time since you've had an Apostle Paul in your church. The things that are indeed behind, I am forgetting. Here's a little bit of advice for us all. Let's have that attitude. People, it's counterproductive to deal on our past failures that have been forgiven in Christ. Throw them away, throw them behind us. But stretching towards the things before my face, I follow after, pursue again toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's a mouthful. But he's pursuing the mark in the prize. We heard it in the reading. He's using athletic imagery. This prize it was the laurel wreath that was given in the Olympic Games. And he's using this metaphor to explain why he's compelled to make such an effort for the gospel of Jesus, of his kingdom, and of being an adopted brother of Jesus himself. So putting it together, people, we must reach out to Jesus, the Savior, to know by experience a life that is both crucified with him to our sins and certain of finishing, resurrected in his power. Uh, And the rushing through and not reading my notes. 
that word that he used to attain the resurrection, the verb was actually talking about a journey. And I like to think of it as our life journey. If our life journey is all about Christ, we know we'll be resurrected in his power. The truth is life comes only, only after we die to ourselves with Christ. And that's a hard thing for Americans to do in the 21st century, but death comes after, after, uh, or before, I mean, life comes after death. Death must come before we can enjoy the life of Christ. Now, God is calling all people, all people to receive forgiveness in his son, who was faithful to do the work of reconciliation and salvation to all who will receive him in faith. And Paul's mission, and, and, and in some way ours as well, the calling is to share the good news. That's why I put it in the prayer this morning. And in Christ, let me make this the final major point. May we all energetically stretch forth so as to zealously pursue our high calling our first calling is to be righteous, to have the righteousness of God in the Savior. And we are in Christ when we submit to him in the humble, obedient faith of a small child. And then we will be righteous in God's eyes because of his faithfulness, God's faithfulness, Christ's faithfulness. Righteousness comes through the faithful Christ. It's of his faithfulness. All right, I've been going on for 25 minutes. Let's conclude in 100 words or less. Paul is using his testimony in order that all would know the Messiah and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, receiving the form of his death for their sins, to somehow finish life's journey, rising up from death. And before this, they suffer the loss of everything to have the righteousness God gives in the faithfulness of Christ based upon faith. And all of this results in a life dedicated to attaining with energy the prize of God's high calling in Christ Jesus, which is to receive his righteousness in love and then pass it on to other people. Righteousness comes through the faithful Christ and through knowing him. So yes, of course, we're going to sing Knowing You for our last song of worship. All I once held dear Built my life upon All this world reveres And wars to own All I once thought gain I have counted loss Spent and worthless now
chosen uh, these words of Paul for our benediction. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I believe that's Isaiah 25. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Again, Hosea 13. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all in the faithful Christ. That's life. That's everything. Amen. Be still.